Well, welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast. My name is Nicholas Vizia. I'm the minister here. And today we're looking at the subject of serenity. We're going to start with a reading from the Bhagavad Gita. When a man gives up all desires that emerge from the mind and rests centered in the self by the self, he is called a man of firm wisdom. He whose mind is untroubled by any misfortune, whose craving for pleasures has disappeared, who is free from greed, fear, anger, who is unattached to all things, who neither grieves nor rejoices if good or bad things happen. That man is a man of firm wisdom. Having drawn back all his senses from the objects of sense, as a tortoise draws back into its shell, that man is a man of firm wisdom. Sense sense objects fade from the abstinent, yet the craving for them continues. But even the craving vanishes for someone who has seen the truth. At first, although he continually tries to subdue them, the turbulent senses tear at his mind and violently carry it away. Restraining the senses, disciplined, he should focus his whole mind on me. When the senses are in his control, that man is a man of firm wisdom. If a man keeps dwelling on sense objects, attached to them arises. And from attachment, desire flares up. And from desire, anger is born. From anger, confusion follows. And from confusion, weakness of memory. Weak memory, weak understanding. Weak understanding, ruin. But the man who is self-controlled, who meets the objects of the senses, for neither craving nor aversion, will attain serenity at last. In serenity, all his sorrows disappear at once, forever. When his heart has become serene, his understanding is steadfast. Thank you, Lexi. I think serenity is one of those yes, please words, like peace and love. When you hear the word, you think, yeah, I'll have some of that. Serenity. You know, so oh, no, I don't fancy a bit of serenity myself. We all want serenity. It's something that we're always after. The root of the word serenity comes from the Latin serenus, which means clear, fine, and calm. Clear, fine, and calm. Just like a beautiful summer's day. There is an unruffled quality about serenity. We describe kings and queens as their serene highnesses, presumably because they are so unruffled by anything. They have the ability just to sail by in a serene way. And for us mere mortals, it's more difficult with issues like mortgages, health, relationships, and all the rest of the turbulence that marks normal life. But serenity is definitely a part of the spiritual 
lexicon. You can find references all over the place. There's references there in the Bhagavad Gita. And there are two references in the Tao Te Ching as well to serenity. One from number nine in the Tao Te Ching. Fill your bowl to the brim and it will spill. Keep sharpening your knife and it will blunt. Chase after money and security and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval and you'll be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. And number 16 as well mentions it. Empty your mind of all thoughts. Let your heart be at peace. Watch the turmoil of beings, but contemplate their return. Each separate being in the universe returns to the common source. Returning to the source is serenity. If you don't realize the source, you stumble in confusion and sorrow. When you realize where you come from, you naturally become tolerant, disinterested, amused, kind-hearted as a grandmother, dignified as a king, immersed in the wonder of the Tao. You can deal with whatever life brings you. And when death comes, you are ready. Now, the Bible itself doesn't mention much about serenity. I've got one of those search engines that you can just search the Bible, and I put serenity in with great confidence, and boonk, <laughs> no references found. However, you know, I think we can just cheat a bit, and peace does have an aspect of serenity about it. I don't think it's the same thing. I think the experience of peace produces serenity. I think the experience of peace produces serenity. It produces a calm a contentment, an unruffledness about life that I think also can be disconcerting. I remember when I was training to be a, a priest in England, a vicar in England, you have to do, after you've done your training, you go on to, uh, to do pastoral work in a parish, just as that. And they wanted me to do lots more essays, which I didn't really want to do. So I sort of took various shortcuts which, invite, which, which involved me being invited to come and see the supervisor in the, you know, about it. He was furious with me. He said, the trouble with you is you're contented. And it was interesting that he used that, you know, as something that was, you know, people don't like it when they see that in somebody, when they, when they feel that they're not really trying to make an effort. And so the nature of being contented has a, there's a double edge to it. It, you know, it, it does, though, suggest being not blown apart from pillar to post, from one disaster to the next. That, that serenity has that contentment in it. That vision of Jesus asleep at the bottom of the boat when the storm's raging and the disciples wake him up because they're being thrown all over the place and they thought they were going to die. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so the disciples were nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we all drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be quiet. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. That was Jesus being serene and communicating that serenity to his surroundings. And and serenity does communicate to its surroundings. The Bhagavad Gita suggests 
three things that are required for serenity. Three things that are required for serenity. The first thing that's required was in that first reading that Lexi read. If a man keeps dwelling on sense objects, attachment to them arises. From attachments, desire flares up, and for desire, anger is born. But the person who is self-controlled, who meets the object of the senses with neither craving or aversion, will attain serenity at last. In serenity, all sorrows disappear at once, forever. When his heart has become serene, his understanding is steadfast. So the first thing of letting go is our attachment to senses, to desires, our attachment to feelings. You remember that passage from the prophet, Khalil Gilbran's The Prophet. He says, and could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life? Your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy. There's that attachment of pain and of wanting joy. Your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy. And you would accept the seasons of your heart, even as you've always accepted the seasons that pass over the field. And you would watch with serenity through the winters of your grief. But we want the good stuff always. We don't want the bad stuff. You know, we are attached to feeling great. Attached to feeling great. I saw, it was too late to put it in the service sheet. I saw a wonderful thing on on Facebook and it it said, uh, it had two pictures and it said, uh, the Buddha happy. And there was another picture. It said, the Buddha unhappy. And the pictures of the Buddha were identical. And that is, that is the nature of being unattached. We so want to feel good that when we don't feel good, we even try to make ourselves feel good, which is where drinks, sex, drugs, all that stuff comes in. We just want to feel okay. And we want to alter our feelings to move away from those feelings that we don't want. We are attached to feeling great. We are attached to happiness. We're attached to all those things that... Uh, that, that make us happy. There was, I was reading in a, um, in a book uh, by Sebastian Folks, and, and he was talking about Aeneas, the story of Aeneas. And he said, he got to the point in the story of Aeneas when Aeneas gave up trying to make himself happy and focused on his purpose in life. And we have to, to some extent, give up trying to make ourselves happy. It's such a big deal for us because that's really what we want. We just want to be happy. I've been watching Brighthead Revisited and Sebastian in Brighthead said, I just want to be happy. That's what I want. And you're so unhappy. And we are attached to that being happy. So if we could look, if we could look with serenity on the winters of our grief in the same way as our joy, then it just produced that serenity. We're attached to our feelings. And, you know, That's something to work on in relationship to serenity, welcoming the feelings, you know, the bad ones as well as the lovely ones, not being partial to one or the other. It's a day-to-day watching of the way that we relate to feelings and the way that they motivate us. And it's interesting as well, I think, that the word desire, if you look at, it's always good to look at the roots of words because we, we mess them up so much. Desire means wanting at the moment, but originally it came from the two words, day and siddhas, 
Day means from, and Siddhas means the stars, from the stars. That's where desire comes from. And there's an idea of waiting to what the stars will bring us, really. We are waiting to see what the stars will bring it. And there's an aspect in that serenity of waiting, waiting rather than wanting. That is where serenity comes from. And I think that helps when we're dealing with our desires, waiting rather than rushing forward. So first of all, serenity is not being attached to what we feel. And the second bit just comes a little bit later in the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, the second aspect of it, uh, the second reading from the Bhagavad Gita, it says, the second thing about serenity, it says, he who performs his duty with no concern for results is a true man of yoga. Not he who refrains from action. So it's he who performs his duty with no concern for results is a true man of yoga. Not he who refrains from action. Know that right action in itself is renunciation. In the yoga of action, you first of all renunciate your own selfish will. You renounce your own selfish will. For the man who wishes to mature, the yoga of action is the path. For the man who was already mature, serenity is the path. So the man who is, wishes to be mature, action is the path. And the man who is already mature, serenity is the path. So that second aspect is really the idea of letting go of the outcomes of what we want. It's letting go of outcomes rather than actually trying to hold on to, to get something or to be partial to those outcomes. The yoga of action. And remember, yoga is yoking or union with the divine spirit. The whole nature of yoga, yoga means yoking with the divine spirit, union with the divine spirit. So the yoga of action, the second aspect of serenity, is acting with no concern for the results. Remember it said in the Tai Chi Ching, you just do your job and step back. And serenity comes from lack of attachment to the outcome. Not being so concerned with it. We're always concerned, you know, with the results. I'm concerned with the results. I want to, you know, I want people to turn up to the chapel. You know, I'm I am, you know, Priests are always bumps on seats, people. They always want to see how many people are there. But you have to be unconcerned with the results. Just do what you do and step back. Because outcomes, your concern for outcomes brings about feelings. You know, a win might produce happiness, a lost sorrow. We want to win. And because we want to win, because of happiness, that brings us back to being partial to one feeling or another and our attachment to that partiality. So you've got to let go of wanting for a particular outcome. Not being concerned with the results is crucial. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. And it's an amazing way to live. Equanimity. Equanimity comes from two Latin words, aquus and animus, soul or mind. The phrase aqua animal means an even mind. An even mind. Receiving our news with an even mind. That old thing that I always quote about the Chinese farmer, good news, bad news. Who knows? An even mind. We never know what anything will bring us. What seems bad news might actually be the source of a different kind of good news. We just don't know. So non-attachment to feelings, 
first of all. Secondly, non-attachment to outcomes. And finally, the third thing to bring about serenity is control of the mind. Control of the mind. Third thing from the Bhagavad Gita. The man of yoga should practice concentration alone. Mastering mind and body, free of possessions and desires. Sitting down, having chosen a spot that's neither too high nor too low, that is clean and covered with a grass mat, a deerskin or a cloth. He should concentrate with his whole mind on a single object. If he practices in this way, his mind will become pure. With torso and head held straight, with posture steady and unmoving, gazing at the tip of his nose, not letting his eyes look anywhere else, he should sit there, calm, fearless, firm in his vow to be chaste, his whole mind controlled and directed, focused, absorbed in the self. Constantly mastering his mind, the man of yoga grows peaceful, attains supreme liberation, and vanishes into bliss. So this third way to serenity, letting go of feelings, letting go of outcomes, is letting go of thoughts. It leads us to meditation. The serenity comes from the serenity of the mind, non-attachments to thoughts in the moment. So we've almost come to this in reverse. Not being attached to thoughts is what we're saying here. means actually we're not attached to outcomes. And not being selective about our feelings and knowing nothing, as I've said before, wanting nothing and willing nothing. The yoga of non-attachment is what leads to serenity. The yoga of non-attachment, not being attached to our feelings, our senses, not being attached to the outcomes, and not being attached to the mind. Now, this does produce the result. And if you think about it, that is what serenity is. But it's so difficult to do it, and we don't. We are attached to our desires. We are attached to our feelings. We are attached to the outcomes, and we are attached to our mind. But the way forward is to produce that non-attachment. The yoga of non-attachment leads to serenity. It reminds me, I'll inflict an English poem on you now. It reminds me of that, program, uh, that, that, that uh, poem by Rudyard Kipling, If. And, and it, to some extent, it has an aspect of serenity about it. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, And if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired of waiting, or being lied about, not deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good or talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn along after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. 
If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And what's more, you'll be a man, my son, or a woman, my daughter. Serenity is that experience of flowing through life like a king or a queen. And that kingdom that we flow through is the Tao, the Christ nature, Krishna, the kingdom of God. Our aim becomes at that moment, thy will be done, to allow the great spirit to lead us where it will serve. To serve at its will with no thought for our own. And in doing so, we receive the commonwealth of that kingdom and become wealthy become our, beyond our wildest dreams. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there is no treasure, no pearl of great price that is greater than the union with the spirit, the essence of serenity. And with that serenity comes ease. And I'm going to finish, you'll be relieved to hear, with a a poem that uh, David Florio sent me uh, last week. And um, it's uh, the Chinese from Changsu, and it's called... um, It's called When the Shoe Fits. Chiyung, the draftsman, could draw more perfect circles freehand than with a compass. His fingers brought forth spontaneous forms from nowhere. His mind was meanwhile free, without concern, with what he was doing. No application was needed. His mind was perfectly simple and knew no obstacle. So when the shoe fits, the foot is forgotten. When the belt fits, the belly is forgotten. When the heart is right, for and against are forgotten. No drives, no compulsions, no needs, no attractions. Then your affairs are under control. You are a free man. Easy is right. Begin right and you are easy. Continue easy and you are right. The right way to go easy is to forget the right way and forget that the going is easy. Let's pray. We just pray, Lord, that you come into our hearts and minds and see the nature of our attachment to things. Our attachment to feelings, desires, to outcomes, to ideas, to getting what we want rather than wanting what we get. We pray that you free us. That you free us into a place of serenity into a mind that is 
has equanimity, that you enable us to sail through our lives impartial and therefore serve you and our destiny rather than serve ourselves and our happiness. We pray for ourselves as a community that we may serve each other. We pray for those that we know are struggling at the moment. For Patricia Hill, Lucy Crichton, Barbara Orchard, Paula Johnson, Josina Ertiz, for Jane Jenkins, who's not well at the moment, for Philip Hodgson, who helps out here and has had a stroke, for Will Welsh, who fell and hurt his head. Pray for the family of Dale Potkin. We thank you for these lovely flowers that Sally brought up today from the memorial yesterday. Pray that you look after all Dale's relatives and friends. Pray for all those visiting at the moment, those on the mountain today, those working. We pray for our town, for the valley, that you will bring peace and serenity to all who live here in this wonderful place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.